Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the Pioneers Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are blazing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn about how to work on our own lives. I know this is a repetition, but that's it. This is episode two, and I'm your host, Andre de Albuquerque. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's DeAndre, as well as the show at Pioneers Show, P-I-O-N-E-E-R-S-S-H-O-W. Pioneers Show on Instagram as well. With us today, we have Lasha Antadze. He's a Georgian blockchain entrepreneur. And if you don't know what's blockchain, stick around. If you love blockchain, you'll love this conversation. And if you don't, you'll also love because I can guarantee you that there's much to learn with this podcast. We go through Lasha's experience. I mean, the guy has a crazy story with the Ukrainian government. He has a great experience and he has great knowledge, not only on the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, but also he has some different ideologies, probably even onto the technology and political overview of the world. So without any further ado, let's jump into this great conversation with Lasha Antadze. So welcome to the Pioneer Show, Lasha. How are you, man? I'm fine. How are you? Thank you. Always good. Thank you so much for taking the invitation, uh, kind of a forced invitation, if we must say. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here. It's a great pleasure and honor that I have you here on the Pioneer Show. So, Lasha. It was not a forced invitation. I really love doing podcasts and talking about especially blockchains and what I do. It was just the timing that did not <laughs> it's a, Okay, it's a forced interview now. Um, so, what, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, man. I'm uh, the founder and CEO of company Shelf Network, mm -hmm. which is basically a distributed, world's first distributed auctioning network, so to say. Mm -hmm. That is uh, that is currently bootstrapping its use case on uh, used car auctions. And uh, we allow, to be simple and precise, we allow sellers to auction the same vehicle at the same time uh, at multiple marketplaces synchronously. Okay, for people who don't understand a single thing that you just said, how we can, can we simplify that? So imagine, how can you explain it to someone who's not in the blockchain area? What do you do? I didn't mention blockchain at all. I know, because I know. In distributed, okay, you're yeah. right. So the basically what we do, uh, I'll, I'm cutting you back. Okay. Or what we do like, we connect auctioning marketplaces like I know many car auctioning marketplaces with each other, peer-to-peer. Mm -hmm. And we're using blockchain as a technology, as a protocol to connect them. Mm -hmm. And then once you get this them connected, here you got the network. Okay. And then you go to the sellers and if you're selling your car, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you upload your car and auction, you limit it to one single marketplace. But if those marketplaces are united using our blockchain solution, then you can just upload your car at one place, but run and monitor same auction of the same car at multiple marketplaces. And this, in a way, allows you to reach more buyers directly, to be present at multiple places in multiple countries, and mm -hmm. especially it works with cars because... There's a huge demand and cross-border sales already that exist. We're just streamlining and optimizing and enhancing that process through the technology. Very interesting. And is it, uh, so can I have a car in Portugal and sell it right now? Is it a customer side? Is it business to business side? Where where are you acting? Let's Currently, it's more business side. So mm -hmm. we allow only corporate, so-called corporate sellers, such mm -hmm. as insurances and leasing companies, 
to uh, list their vehicles and sell them. But in the future, of course, we're going to open up for general public and it's going to be a universal permissionless chain to use. Okay. And uh, where are you right now, not only uh, in terms of the company, but in which markets are you on? Currently, we're live like with our first channel. It's like between Lithuania and Georgia. We open mm -hmm. up from Georgia to Ukraine and we be adding uh, suppliers from the G Germany as we now sign several clients and suppliers. And we're looking actually on the import export statistics. So it's not like randomized uh, <laughs> hookup of marketplaces and suppliers. We do really go into depth and research how we, where is the demand and what type of cars are requested by average users and buyers and based on that and based on those flow we uh, pull up our network and sales channels so basically you choose a market on based on statistics statistics and not just by throwing names in the air would, would, where do you get these kinds of data is it public data do you have to it pay? is it is public data actually mm -hmm. you can uh, you can see the import export statistics between countries on the United Nations Contrades uh, website or you can request uh, from the interior ministers or border controls this, mm -hmm. this type of data, what type of cars have been or if there are some annual uh, some reports as well available which go into kind of deep statistical knowledge <laughs> of uh, what color or what uh, year of the car really was imported yeah okay and just in case i assume most most people don't understand this but why is the cross border cross platform important so why would i uh, a reseller an insurance company for example would like to sell in germany or in lithuania would like to sell or open my my bids for georgia yeah, because it's a it's a nature of unfair world <laughs> in a way because uh, all the used cars, mostly from Western Europe, the it is easy and more uh, kind of regulatory easy to sell in Eastern Europe because the demand is high. On the other hand, for the Eastern Europeans, it's more affordable to buy used cars than to be able to buy the new cars. So it is a kind of a demand existing natural. Okay, there's a lot of demand in the Eastern side of the of, the, of Europe yeah. and on the Western side, there's a supply. Supply, yeah. That, because like the West, uh, average Western European can uh, lease off the car and uh, like return it in two years and get a new model. And in Eastern Europe, that's not the case. You can't really buy a new car and get in a new car. It costs a lot. So, But is it, it's not businesses that buy those secondhand cars. It's even the businesses, even the businesses really? prefer to buy like taxi companies or renting companies or even for the fleets, they prefer to buy used cars because you know, the price is, is huge. There's a huge difference between a new car's price and a uh, used car. Then let's take a little step back. Where are you from, by the way? I'm originally from Georgia. Uh, so you're from Georgia. And how did you get into blockchain or tech? Let's start from there. How did you get into tech? Oh, I don't know. My life has been pretty various and uh, contrastual, I would say, because I didn't really get into blockchain because of Bitcoin or something. I I first somehow, I don't know, don't ask me questions, but <laughs> let's go by. Somehow I ended up in a semi-political movement in Ukraine after the revolution. Mm 
So basically, I was, yeah, that, that was the strange part of my life, like two, three years of my life, when I was leading some reforms to change the most corrupt country and its establishment. And yeah, and basically I was doing on the e-governance side. So I was looking at the processes that the government provides starting from an property registration to passport issuance to identity management or some land management stuff. So everything that government provides mm-hmm. you as a service. As a digital service, you were in the trenches, is that it? Yeah, it should be digital if we if we believe in computers and et cetera, but it's of course now it's manual and like most bureaucratic you can imagine, even in Germany, it's not something that governments are good. I mean, good establishment to have a high tech. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 how did you get into Ukraine? Like, you don't have to be a, a lot of the deep oh. thinking if it's something that you're not entirely comfortable, but how did you go from Georgia to Ukraine in not only Ukraine, but work within and with the Ukrainian government? I mean, yes, I've heard many, there, there are, I've had many rumors around. Some think that I'm kind of affiliated with the oligarchs and have been, have been like, I don't know, helping them out. Some think that I'm kind of affiliated with the political party or really? something or my relatives. There's like many things people might think, but the truth was that nothing, as a young enthusiastic guy i just joined a random project without any pay it was just a voluntary work work i was doing in terms of research of a certain it was in georgia basically and then those people who i volunteered for somehow saw potential in me i would guess and they just invited me for four weeks to look around and see what could i do do and help in Ukraine as it was like post-revolutionary period. And somehow I stayed there for three years and And, what, and what's the biggest project you worked with the Ukrainian government or the biggest? Yeah, I mean, uh, the one that I'm kind of proud of in a way is the project I work with. It's a, it's like building a McDonald's-like uh, building for providing governmental services. So idea is that you don't have to stand in line. You don't have to wait like hundreds of, hours of mm-hmm. before you get your paper but the entire processes should be optimized in this way that you have to only spend spend 15 minutes within this entity and you concept basically what you do is you just get all your governmental services in one place and mm-hmm. provide it as a one-stop shop that that was like the biggest project that actually um i'm i enjoy it a lot because i've optimized around 135 public services to have this kind of flow so customers i mean users and public would interact as if they were in a mcdonald's space and it, it still works and i'm kind of it is cool to drive around <laughs> and see something that has been accomplished and you participated in interesting and okay so you're working for the ukrainian government you create the mcdonald's for public services yeah and then there was one um uh, there was like one project, so to say side project mm-hmm. that was like not prioritized, but it was like uh, auctioning. So basically, but auctioning like eBay or auctioning? No, no, like, like governmental auctions for asset management, you would say, because uh, every government, if it wants to sell or privatize something, they need to auction. That's a kind of regulatory framework, right? And uh, 
the problem with this current schemes of auctioning is that it's either manual, so in a closed rooms, and you always know who the winner is. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of a cor- number one corrupt gateway, and that's where the money flows and ease, <laughs> and everyone is interested to grab a piece out of it. So, yeah, and the solution that exists in current schemes, it's an online open trade auctions. Mm-hmm. But then you understand that governments like in most cases they're not really good service providers so you don't you don't have you seen like any governmental selling uh, no. know, land or something no. that has that, that you kind of brought many <laughs> investors around and so yeah they're really bad especially at marketing so the idea was to give the same assets to private marketplaces who mm-hmm. would serve as the agents around and they would bring more buyers. They could like expand the sales of geography and coverage and remarketing. And you would have like this transparent open competition or for who's able to buy. It not to end up, no, then that's a kind of a solution not to end up with the, the Russian privatization of early 90s. So, hmm. Yeah. That, so that was the case. But then you understand that you can't really trust governments if they, if they, are the owners of the database, if they manage the process, mm-hmm. they can really uh, kind of misuse it, so to say. And they can just forge the results or they would not allow someone to participate and still you would end up with the huge corruption. And that the idea was to get rid of the centralized database mm-hmm. as well and allow those private entities to interact peer-to-peer without any central middleman on the arbiter who would say who the highest bidder was. And that's how I, we found blockchain and that's how I started my blockchain career. So it was not, not my first kind of pr- project of, it was mm-hmm. the decentralized auction. But did you build the, the, the auctioning, I assume, software platform? Yeah, it's a, it's a basically a protocol that we built back then. It was 2015. There was like different world for blockchain. There was different world. Uh, different world. Yeah, altogether. it was altogether different world. So and we were like really cool, like young guys having a pilot project mm-hmm. with the government of Ukraine on blockchain. That was like, what was blockchain? Nobody <laughs> knew. But it's, uh, it really bootstrapped the community that is now in Ukraine and people who really understand how this industry works and many professionals who, for whom this entire industry became kind of daily lifestyle. Okay, so... Basically, back in 2015, basically, according to what we are seeing today, or at least in the last seven months, maybe, with the craze of the, the rise of Bitcoin, the Ethereum, the Ripples, and all the cryptocurrencies that getting a lot of attention from JP Morgan to you name it, you were a hipster in the, the, the blockchain area. So you were in blockchain before blockchain was cool. No, I was not. I was a guy that believed that, I don't know, $500 Bitcoin was the <laughs> maximum it could get or $15 Ethereum was the top. So, yeah. So, I guess you were wrong here. Yeah, yeah, of course. I wish I was, I was correct back then and <laughs> knew at least the scale of how, how quickly it would grow. But I, I do... I do believe in technology. That was the case. Mm-hmm. I did, did see the value of it. Not not in terms of like a currency or the value or I'm going to invest and get rich 
hundred years, ten years after. Mm-hmm. Not not in that way because I thought like it was too late. I don't know why. I saw I always thought that it was too late. Um, but I liked itself the protocol approach. I liked the governance model it has introduced, and as I told you, it was like a perfect tool to take the government down and out of the processes. And then I had, as as I told you, I I had the direct interaction with the governmental services. So I mm-hmm. knew like every moment of it and I still know what the problem were, how the, the, the documents move around, how many people interfere with the process. I had like mapped the entire things out. And when I got introduced to the blockchain, that was like, wow, man, we can do everything without government even having a power to or spending money on this mm-hmm. and this this was what, what i liked about blockchain that it, it changes the way of especially governmental uh responsibilities that we kind of given them and take for granted okay for some people who might not be as well versed and this might be a very stupid ask but when people say protocol a, a, a protocol is basically a layer on top of which things are built. Is that it? No, protocol is like a cable, you would say. Mm. Protocol is like cable connecting one device to another. and Through a protocol. Yeah. So it, it's like a channel cable that you connect. Mm-hmm. And protocol is just standardizes what the type of data or the process that those two mm-hmm. entities you want to interact with. So... Okay, let's assume, for example, the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Is it, it's built on top of a specific protocol? Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin blockchain is a protocol that connects these miners mm-hmm. with each other so they exchange all those transactions and pools and uh, blocks uh, among themselves. Okay, and does Shelf Network has, uh, have any tokens? No. And, and tokens are... Uh, uh, tokens are just writing, written things on the ledger. It's, it's just... Uh, writing so many bitcoins exist so many stuff but 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 okay let me see a token is a, a, a mode of rewarding the miners the the one that making sure that the information is safe yeah. or is is intact and un, yes untouched and you guys don't have a token no is there a reason for it is it because you don't believe in the tokenization of blockchain is it because there's too much hype what's the reason no, I believe in kind of tokenization and as a for the Bitcoin, it's a perfect reward mechanism, right? It's not Bitcoin, it's not about technology. It's about how you brought those technology into a kind of a system, ecosystem that is self-sustainable, decentralized and mm-hmm. can govern itself without central intermediary. That's what about, that's all about the Bitcoin and blockchains. But, and uh, for to sustain that infrastructure, right? The decentralized one, you need many counterparts. And they have expenses, right? So you mm-hmm. need some kind of a reward mechanism that will motivate them to sustain those servers around, right? Mm-hmm. Like miners. And that's why you got this generation of new Bitcoins or you got commissions on which uh, they're going to continue to have interest into operating. But if you're, in our case, if your infrastructure is built between marketplaces who are on the server, the service side, for the client, right? They already have the income and reward mechanism out of the commissions, out mm, of the okay. sales, out of uh, providing services to mm-hmm. their clients. So they don't need a kind of a imaginary new token uh, worth nothing to be given in terms of yeah, like yeah. Makes sustaining sense. Um, the system. They already have that. 
so, and in terms of building shelf network network so far, what has been the hardest thing that you've had to overcome or to build or to not know? Not doing ICO. <laughs> That's the hardest thing. I mean, not doing an ICO, it's a kind of temptation, right? Especially when you started in 2015 when it was, I was everything just getting started, right? Mm-hmm. No, no ICO term existed. It was token distribution, as we used to call it. And then we were like, we we actually got rid of the internal token not because we straight away understood that it's not something that will be useful or well we don't need a native token but we got rid because we had a governmental project and first thing i thought was okay and explaining to government to buy some tokens on an exchange would be pretty hard so yeah. we we got rid of the token back then due to that reason but over when seeing all these new startups and kind of models of ecosystem they emerge, you realize that that was a good decision. So if somebody from a regional perspective asks me if I would put a token or not, I would say no, because you don't need internal coin and limiting transactions to it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that Satoshi would be against that one as well, because Bitcoin as a currency token is good when it has a kind of competition, open competition with fiat and other currencies, right? Mm-hmm. If it becomes like a single dominant currency that takes everything out, the gold and everything, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. Currency and the value is measured in competition and it's improved as an instrument, right? It's an instrument. And same, I think, for the blockchain startups. Limiting transactions to a single coin and serving as a medium of exchange, it will not work efficiently because imagine like i don't know imagine like every time you go to a supermarket and there's like different symbols of prices and you have to scan them up to understand the instant value of the deal Mm -hmm. it does not make sense i mean pricing and the value and medium of exchange are are an instrument that we use every day and and i believe as a right right libertarian i believe that people, sorry no i was saying that yeah just limiting people to transact and exchange on a single coin that is used by your system i think it's wrong one from a philosophical perspective mm-hmm. but it's wrong from the economical perspective as well because you don't have a monetary policy you don't control the uh, pricing of mm-hmm. the inventory and People not gonna adopt or change the value formation on a small ecosystem like that. Yeah, that is so imagine, yeah. Okay, in for someone who wants to, to learn more about blockchain, Bitcoin, the whole distributed ecosystem that has been built at least since 2015, I assume. I think the the white paper for Bitcoin was 2009? Eight. Eight. So ever since 2008, that the distributed ecosystem has been changing a lot. So if someone who's getting out of school or still working and wondering about building something on the blockchain area, blockchain industry, how, where would you advise them to, to start reading, learning, which kind of tools and resources would you direct them to? always just start from the genesis i mean bitcoin if you don't understand how bitcoin works if you can't understand on those eight pages the genius of the entire system then you don't need to read the rest of it so so first of all the white paper for bitcoin yeah 
it should be white if you have a free account. So, and just just for so everybody knows that this is this link or whatever we can find it will be here in the show notes. So don't worry. So white paper for Bitcoin, what else? What else would you advise anyone to start reading? Any blog, any podcast, YouTube, whatever, book. I love, it's like my own view that I love it from uh, the economical perspective. So I always look at Bitcoin, etc. in the, the prism of theory of money, Mm-hmm. How is what what it what it mimics from the gold standard or like using this commodity stuff? I I mean I look from that perspective. So I love like reading as a not fun. I mean fun, yeah. So some different uh, money theories, how it got and in any book, economics. any book that you'd recommend in that area? I mean, really nice book. I think it's it's a bit hard. It's not finished, but I really love the book, uh, the nationalization of money. Nas- nationalization of money. The Denas- nationalization of money. Okay. Very Kayak. Basically, it's not a book. It's like more of a question she asks. Oh, mm-hmm. if we had like free private money and how it could be used and how we're gonna sell. It's like a really radical visionary thing and by looking all those commodity tokens by looking bitcoin and everything you see some parallels with it and i really is that there's no answers given so say it's not something you read and you got the answers but it's a good thing to make comparisons and have your own understanding of where we go and what what drives you in terms of because i assume that as a georgian kid they went to the Ukrainian government, what drives you to, to create an auctioning system for cars? Is, is there a bigger vision behind? Is there any underlying subject inside of you that wants to fo- follow this theory? Yeah, or? there's like several steps. First of all, I, I'm, I'm driven by the idea that I hate when blockchains and everything like startups start with the scale of a Milky Way galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really want to do something that is use case and like narrowed down and shows the value creation of using this technology mm-hmm. at a larger scale and scale up from there. Plus, I, I'm really driven into, I always like this kind of self-sustainable ecosystems. And I, I really love the transitioning from something that might be even like central, super centralized and how you platformize it and make it like the like your physics law of entropy, right? It all starts in the central point and then you have to decentralize and it goes mm-hmm. away. That I, th- I think that that's what every startup should strive for. I think that's what every blockchain-based or any industry will be at some point. We will have the complete decentralization and different governance models and that's what drives me. Car- cars is a good point to start and showcase and itself the protocol can be used for wider use on other asset types and service and market making protocol among different auctioning asset, uh, assets. This might sound like a weird question, but why is, in your opinion, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to be only yours, but why is decentralization important and why should it be a big deal? Because it's not, it is big deal in terms that I've seen how hard it is, the centralized 
architectures or decision making processes or the hierarchical uh, institutions mm -hmm. are it's really hard to change and you you can't really transform it and make it better and make like it it, it serves a huge barrier in terms of especially the new technologies and adoption and improvement in human life and decentralization is one of the options that gives you more flexibility and gives you free choice you can always fork you can always evolve you can always have your you can always sort sorry fork yeah i mean yeah protocol or something like what's that. a fork copy paste and launch your own so okay just in case someone doesn't understand like me for example a fork is when a blockchain copy paste itself yeah like take a bitcoin and launch it on your it's an open source code right launch it on your web computer mm -hmm. uh, 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 do whatever like bitcoin cash right we have our bitcoin dark or bitcoin etc it's a fork but what's the difference in theory nothing it's just somebody does not agree with the bitcoin how it's developing and they just use but do code. people keep adding stuff onto the the bitcoin code no it's a separate one no, no, no. What I'm saying is, is okay. Is it's open? It's open source, but is it just for a matter of studying it, or can you add stuff onto the code? Of course, you can add like customize based on your preference and your vision. And each time you add something, it's a different blockchain, or is it still on the Bitcoin? It's a different blockchain. It's it's a different blockchain. So in theory, you and me can get onto the Bitcoin platform, change a few lines of code, yeah, and create our own Bitcoin. Andrasha. Yeah, we can call anything. You Lache. Want. Lache blockchain is that it? Yeah, 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 completely. And, and then nobody, the nobody stops you from doing it. It's a, it's then becomes the question of like how many people do really share your vision, how many people do believe in what you did, and you can grab the community around it. And every but okay, but so sorry, has, sorry, but what's what? Okay, let me understand this on a on a more visionary perspective. What's the vision if? How can you build a different vision for a Bitcoin or for a current cryptocurrency? Is it is, is there a vision behind what's the what's in theory? I mean, yeah, the, currently it's uh, the difference of vision of how it should scale, right? So we got technical problem of scaling mm -hmm. and something that yeah, increasing block is a better solution. Something Lightning Network is not the solution. It will bring more centralization. So this is difference of opinions, right? So for, at this case, it's a. It is a completely technical, technical based differences. Mm -hmm. We might have the governance based differences. We might have some know, future use case differences or unknown. And based on that, people will always form into different communities. We have a question from the audience or from someone that knew that I was going to interview you. How do you unwind? Unwind, what do you mean? Basically, how do you, when you get home and you don't want to think about work, what do you do just to... What I do, I don't know. It's like lately my life and work is so much mixed. So I don't quite have a difference between I'm working time or I'm mm -hmm. not working time. Especially, actually, I enjoy working from home more. Really? I, I can like, I concentrate and I'm more effective. So what do, what's your main goal when you're working are you coding are you business developing or what are you doing usually are you doing a mixture of both yeah, I don't know I'm doing I, I love actually, actually I love uh, graphic designing stuff 
Really? Yeah, some, I don't know, some presentations <laughs> doing on my website, updating some stuff or or, or just putting up some banners. You know. Interesting. Okay. It calms me down. <laughs> Let's I'm... go into a simple fire round. A fire round is I'll ask you a simple set of questions and you have one minute to answer them. Okay. Okay? What's the, your favorite tool slash the tool you wouldn't be able to live without? Tool? Uh, it can be an iPhone, an app. A, a, okay, internet for sure. Internet? Yeah. Okay, is there any specific app that you I use? I mean, I could live without that and I've lived a long, not, not long, but I don't know how many, like 12 years without it. No, what I'm asking, uh, tell me something you've changed your opinion about in the last six months. Oh, a lot. I love the main I, I thing. Always, I always stay, try to stay open-minded and uh, try to adapt whatever, even about my startup and how we position or how we should approach the market. I've changed everything for the last three months. Okay, but what's the main thing that you believe that you believed six months ago that you no longer believe or the other way around that you did not believe six months ago and you now deep inside believe in it? Okay. I I never saw six months ago that Bitcoin would go to twenty k. I saw like that would be like I don't know five years, ten years time, something like that. What's the value right now? Seven thousand. It's eight now. Yeah, back to that. But I it was like I always believed in Bitcoin, but I would never. It was like not completely sure that it could cross that mark. And I I was like okay, hundred thousand Bitcoin. I was like yeah maybe. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. when I'm old and like the world is different place and my grand grandsons will remember that. But now I believe that it can happen pretty quickly. And that that's a bit of a So what's the, the next thing you think that Bitcoin will go through? What's the next mark? I don't know, like fifty. Fifty thousand? Fifteen hundred? No, hundred I mean fifty thousand, hundred thousand. Yeah, it, it it will. What's the book you've given out the most? The book? I don't know. There are many books. But the, mostly the one. economical one. What's the main book? Uh, I would say The Constitution of Freedom. Okay, very interesting. Or Liberty, it's called. I don't, I don't remember. I read it like... We'll link it up in the, the show notes. Okay, last, last question. If you started today from scratch, where would you focus? From scratch my life or uh if you were living college right now college oh my god i really needed to focus in college actually i was not the guy <laughs> i was not the guy that really kind of okay let, let's put it this way if you're finishing your studies yeah i will not change it actually i don't think that i would go back and focus i sometimes i'll Sometimes when I did not focus, mm -hmm. I I I happened to <laughs> encounter things in life that brought me more positive changes that I focused on. It's mm -hmm. like I don't know. So I really love like this randomized experiences and randomized events and making contrasts in life and decisions. And sometimes it comes out of focus. Okay, then let's put that question another way. If you are starting today from scratch. Uh, 
what would be your first steps? Would it be go through serendipity and just see how the randomization of the world would, yeah. would take you? Yeah. So basically, my understanding is that you would put in the would put yourself through as many randomizable opportunities opportunities as possible. Is that it? Of course. That's what life is about, no? <laughs> okay, as a last question. Uh, and by the way, thank you very much for being here. Um, what was the best advice you've ever gotten? Yeah, that was one. And I, that, was, that was like, that was one advice because I was pretty young. I had a, I had a kind of project pulled out. Mm -hmm. That was like one of my first working experiences. And this project completely failed not because of me i mean there were like political issues there were like i don't know so many th things and they didn't work out so to say and then i got that advice it was not an advice it was a kind of silly remark but i still remember that this guy tells me that okay what well, what was the reason why it's called and i started like it was a political one okay they didn't da, 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 the investment didn't came da, 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 and this guy says okay whatever it is that was your fault in a way some part of it was your fault and yeah i don't know i i still remember that and that's an advice it's an advice in a way that everything <laughs> we're we're kind of used to blaming everything from external externalities mm -hmm. and don't see uh and estimate what impact can we have to oh, okay, stop, I you know I and I, i looked at it this way so for me it's like Wow, man. Yeah, I had a huge impact. I could have somewhere that it made it, but it was a bit quicker. And I, I remember that. Well, guys, it was a very weird way of putting it advice, but it's something that everybody should know and understand that all of us have an end in everything that we're in. So we should start looking more inside other than just blaming outside characteristics and just start and do. Right? Yeah, and just to, to understand that we could have a huge impact on the things that we then conceive as if we like it due to externalities or we were like doing playing a small role. Actually, no, we, we can have an impact on a huge scale, each of us. That's the case. I mean, oh, this was a it. very valuable interview. Thank you very much, Lasha, for being here in the Pioneer Show. And guys, um, if the people at home want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? I'm... Uh, I'm a social network guy. You can reach me on Twitter, Facebook. What's your Twitter handle? It's at Lasha Antadze. Okay, we'll put it on the, the show notes. Lasha, L-A-S-H-A Antadze. Yeah. A-N-T-A-D-Z or Z-E. Yeah. Okay, you can find him on Twitter at Lasha Antadze. Thank you very much for being here, man. Thank you. It was you. a great pleasure to have you here in the Pioneer Show. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to share this, my crooked ideas. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Woo. Yeah, I had a great time with this conversation. I hope you had one too. It's with great satisfaction that I know that the Pioneer News Show is growing. Please hit us up on pioneersshow.com. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. I'm always there. Any information that you might have missed will be all linked in the show notes. You can just probably, depending on the app that you have, just swipe right or left and you can have all the important notes and links and everything that was talked about during the interview. If you enjoyed the conversation, show the love. Once again, it was really a great pleasure to have you over there. Have a great time. And as always, talk to you later.